Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're exploring a recent paper from the UBS Global Wealth Management CIO on the longer-term investment theme of the metaverse. The report helpfully outlines some of UBS's definitions in the space, as well as setting out predicted impact in social and, of course, economic terms, and where that creates opportunity and risk for investors. Our panel today will explain that while the full realisation of the metaverse may take as long as a decade, it's reasonable to expect iterative improvements in metaverse-related infrastructure, in artificial intelligence and in experiences over the next few years. We'll hear about some specific sectors discussed in the report that should continue to benefit from several medium to long-term secular trends which should help deliver above-average earnings growth over the next decade. We start the programme with Kevin Deneen from the CIO of UBS Global Wealth Management. Kevin's the sector strategist for the US information technology and communications services sector and the lead author of the report. Kevin, great to have you with us today. What kind of impact is the metaverse going to have broadly on economic activity? Give us the overview, Kevin. We see the metaverse is a deeply immersive virtual experience that we think will have a major impact on a bunch of different industries. We think it's really an extension of a lot of technology development that we've seen. Uh, We think it can, over time, be built on some key enabling technologies that we've written about in other formats. You know, the the next generation of cloud computing, artificial and, and virtual reality, 5G connectivity, and whatever comes after 5G, which I guess we'll call it 6G, even though we're not really there yet. And, um, you know, ultimately what we see is this being uh, having application first in the media and entertainment space, which is a huge global industry. And we think it's really an extension of some of the experiences that people are already enjoying. Well, yeah, and I guess it is very much in its infancy. But I suppose what's interesting is that whilst the sort of realisation of the metaverse could take some time, Kevin, there's lots of aspects of this that are interesting to for, from an investment viewpoint, whether that's about infrastructure, uh, hardware, software, building those experiences that are going to actually define the metaverse from a content point of view. There are lots of interesting areas that are very exciting, even if it is a quite an inchoate space at this stage. That's right. I mean, I think it is all very nascent, but I think, you know, we we can look at a few things throughout the history of technology and look at those as the underpinnings for what we think will drive development of the metaverse. And to your point, Tom, like we do think there's going to be a lot of investment. There's going to be a lot of investment first in building out the necessary hardware and networking and storage and connectivity. There's also going to be a lot of effort around building out you know, the system and the environment that will support those digital experiences. And I think, you know, one thing that we think about a lot is why why do we have confidence that we'll get to the metaverse? Because if you think back to when Zuckerberg changed the name of Facebook to meta platforms, that was sort of the peak of the hype of the metaverse or right around the peak. And now I think there's nothing but skepticism. But I think, as you know, oftentimes the reality is sort of somewhere in the middle. So we think about three sort of fundamental drivers of technology development historically, and we think they're largely still at play. And we think they're going to drive development of the metaverse going forward and drive a lot of investment. And those three fundamental laws, so to speak, are Moore's Law, uh, Keck's Law, and Metcalf's Law. Moore's Law 
I think there's some debate about is Moore's law still alive and kicking? It's the idea that we double, you know, the density of transistors on on a computer chip every other year or so. It's gotten harder to stick to Moore's law, but we think that there's various techniques that are being put to bear or put to work in the semiconductor industry that should continue to drive significant progress in computing power. Keck's law is is not as familiar to many people. It's named after a um, former academic and, and, and industrialist who developed multimodal fiber optic cable. And really what we think of Keck's law as being sort of this, this principle, this driver that reduces the cost of internet traffic by about 35% per year. And we can observe that. Now, it may not happen the same way it did previously. It's not just about the fiber, it's about other technologies. But we think the, the main point is that we're going to have these two real key enabling technologies in, in semiconductors and connectivity that will enable a new platform. And that's what we really think of the metaverse as. We think it's, it's the next platform of computing that we'll all touch and see. And Metcalf's law is this idea that, you know, if you have a network and you have two or three people, that's interesting, but it gets much more interesting in an exponential way the more users you add. And you saw that with telecom networks, you saw it with social networking, it's sort of the flywheel effect, right? Once enough people get involved, it gets its own critical mass. So we think you put all these things together and we think that those are the underpinnings for the metaverse. And you know, we think back to 2003, 20 years ago, when you had the Nokia N97 smartphone, you had a Palm Trio smartphone. I don't think anybody really looked at those devices and said, yeah, I think in 20 years, there's gonna be about 7 billion people on the planet walking around carrying what is essentially a supercomputer in their pocket. So those devices, smartphones, were driven by the, these laws that we just mentioned, Moore's Law, Keck's Law, Metcalf's Law. And we think those are the underpinnings that will drive the metaverse that will guide the investment, that will guide the development of the metaverse. If we look, taking a step even further back, an even bigger picture, we've spoken to lots of your colleagues, Kevin, throughout UBS about some of these big uh, secular thematics that can helpfully point investors in the direction of good decision-making in terms of their longer-term aspirations. And I guess what's interesting about Metaverse is that this sector and some of the things you've talked about already really overlays several of those, I guess, obviously in the field of technological advance very immediately, but it also taps into things, doesn't it, in terms of broader uh, societal change. There's other factors that make this a particularly interesting longer-term investment opportunity, even within the field of longer-term investments? Even though digital natives are, are and, and a younger generation, this is probably a sweet spot for, for metaverse adoption. We think metaverse adoption will go well beyond that. You know, we think this is a consumer-facing product. It's a consumer-facing technology. Um, and I think what's really interesting is if you look at smartphones, I think it's interesting that when we look at the, the growth in the user base, the fastest growing part of the user base is the elderly. So I think that even though the metaverse will probably speak first to the to the younger crowd, to digital natives, I don't think it's it's exclusive to that demographic. I think that we've all gotten used to being, if not digital natives, some sort of digital resident alien to torture that analogy, but we're all much more comfortable with technology. And given that this is the metaverse we think first addresses media and entertainment, which is global, touches everybody in every demographic in every part of the world, in every type of economy, we think that the metaverse will actually have a lot of application, a lot of adoption across a lot of different demographics, not just the digital natives. 
Kevin Denine. Next up, let's consider the sustainability implications of Metaverse. Michelle Liberty is thematic investing strategist in the New York Chief Investment Office of UBS, focusing on how longer-term secular themes will be shifting the investment landscape. Michelle, welcome back to the show. It's so interesting to place a topic like the metaverse that's sort of burning particularly brightly at the moment into this picture of all of these interconnected long-term secular themes that we often discuss on the show. Things like technological change, urbanisation, shifts in, in demography... If we're looking at the metaverse and its implications for the years ahead, it speaks to a number of these. I guess it taps in clearly to technological change, societal change as well, but it very much is interwoven into the sort of sustainability uh, narrative as well. Maybe you can put it in some context for us. How does the metaverse, why is it so relevant if we're looking at the sort of discourse around sustainability in particular? Yeah, when it comes to sustainability in particular, I think that you know, we need to think about sustainability considerations in somewhat of a broader sense, that it's not just about environmental considerations, and I, I will get to that, but think about long-term sustainability and the viability of an industry. And for technology, there's really two things that really matter here, and that's how the technology is used and who can access it at a very high level. So when it comes to something like the metaverse, you know, we're not exactly sure yet how it will be used moving forward. We know there's going to be an aspect from the consumer side and more of a a social and entertainment aspect to this. But then there's also the potential, you know, to think about it more from the industrial application side. And, you know, will this be used to try and optimize projects or make them a little bit more efficient if you can design it in a better way? We're not exactly sure which one of those will dominate yet because this is still very, very early innings. So those are some of the things that we're looking at and considering uh, when we think about the metaverse. Uh, Well, yeah, tell us a little bit about the idea. I mean, I guess one of the things that's really interesting about the metaverse, which I think is is, is relevant here, is this idea about it being a a new realm, a lawlessness, the lack of uh, regulatory frameworks. I mean, regulation is important, isn't it, if we're thinking about building a sustainable uh, future for this sort of theme. Tell us a bit about how that acts on the space. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point, right? Because essentially, a lot of crimes that can occur in our day-to-day lives can probably be carried over to the metaverse. So I haven't personally made a purchase in the metaverse, but we have seen consumers um, purchasing things like luxury items uh, and whatnot in the metaverse. So what happens if one of those uh, items is stolen, right? So how... How will things like your data be protected or uh, how will property rights be handled and really how will this new digital realm be regulated are all still pretty open-ended questions. Uh, you know, we are seeing kind of initial discussions about this and kind of groups coming together to, to think about how to move forward and, you know, in an ethical way. But again, I think there's a lot that, that really remains to be seen here. Well, let me just pick up on something you mentioned in your opening remarks, Michelle, as well, which was about this idea of, um, I guess, access. And there's a, I guess there's a, a concern that there's a, a potentially an increasing digital divide and the metaverse will be a further manifestation of that. What does that mean as you understand it? Because there's already, I guess, a gap between those who can access uh, technology and those that cannot. And this feels like something that will uh, exacerbate that division or, or potentially might do. 
Yeah, again, I think that goes back to you know, what I said earlier, too, about the way that technology is used. And it really ultimately ends up what or it depends what we end up using the metaverse for most often. So when you think about something like the digital divide, it's really a question of will this increase inequalities by providing an advantage to those who can access it or afford it. Uh, so think about something, you know, maybe a little bit more simple, just for an example, you know, access to an online education course. You need internet to, to access that, right? So we already have a digital divide just based on things like broadband access alone. Of course, there's going to be regional differences there, um, depending where you are in the world. But if we end up using the metaverse for uh, something like education, you know, way down the line, I think that there's a very long road to get full get fully there. So I don't think that's necessarily a, a huge near-term risk. But again, I think that if we start to see it, you know, come up more commonly, say that there's uh, some certain schools where kids can take a, a field trip or simulate something like, you know, a lab project right from, you know, not not having to leave the classroom, will that give that them an advantage versus other schools that don't have access to that? That's the question. But again, I think there's kind of a long way to go before we get there. And just on the environment, we mentioned we'd come back to this. I guess there's a plainly a potential environmental advantage for a decreasing footprint, things like uh, travel, if we can connect and engage with one another globally with businesses and so forth. In the digital realm exclusively, that could go a long way to reducing carbon footprints, for example. But I guess on the flip side, huge amounts of processing power needed. We know how inefficient data center capacity building can be. Again, it's a question of establishing the balance and having to wait and see a little bit what happens as as how people are consuming the metaverse becomes more apparent right in terms of gauging the environmental impact yeah absolutely i think there's always you know there's always a savings to be had from uh not traveling you know we saw the actually some of that during the pandemic a few years ago right when no one was we had a lot less air travel and we saw some very quick near-term benefits of that. But at the same time, um, we've also seen you know, society that, that does want to interact in, in some way. And I think we're seeing a societal shift where younger consumers are a lot more open to this digital realm because we've, we've really grown up in a world that has been largely digital. Um, so that is starting to shift a bit. But I still think it's going to be you know, a long time, if ever, if we just fully stop kind of interacting and, and going to some of these in-person meetings. So I think that in the near term, we're, that's really going to stem any potential kind of environmental benefit we could get that way, thinking about just purely transportation alone. But again, at the same time, I do think that there are some promising implications too, whether it's um, using digital twins to more efficiently design projects from the onset. You know, there is potential use cases that could be a little bit more beneficial. But to your point, I think it's I think it's really going to really depend on that data center and data storage and the energy intensity of that as well, and really which will offset. And again, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I think a lot of the sustainability considerations that exist for the metaverse really exist for a lot of technologies, right? There's data storage and energy intensity of data centers is an important question really across the board. So it's not necessarily that the uh, metaverse is creating this problem, right? It's just uh, something that we're thinking about when we assess for these long-term investments themes. Well, yeah. And, and just to that point, I, I wonder, Michelle, you know, are there any differences in terms of 
the principles that should govern successful investor behavior when it comes to sustainability for the, for the metaverse? Or actually, should some of the assumptions or principles that uh, savvy investors try to stick to when it comes to investing more sustainably or recalibrating their portfolios so they're more sustainable, are actually those principles the same, whether we are talking about the metaverse or a more conventional or traditional uh, portfolio construction? Are there differences? Should there be? It's a really good question. And I think um, it's... I think it's really going to depend on your strategy and the way that you are trying to approach uh, sustainable investments, because there's a lot of different ways to approach sustainability. But I do think that it's similar for something like the metaverse versus tech more broadly. I will say this isn't a theme that we necessarily see as linked to any sustainable development goals in a very clear way, as is really being used as we see it today more for social and again entertainment purposes at this stage. So that's kind of a different consideration, right? Sometimes you're thinking about it more from the angle of the sustainable development goals and those underlying targets. That's going to be a little bit less relevant here versus taking the more risk angle and thinking about it from, again, you know, how are these risk factors going to play out over time? So I think it, yeah, one, it depends on your strategy, but two, I do agree with you that it really does carry over a lot of what is relevant for the metaverse is relevant for technology broadly. Finally this week, let's turn to Antoinette Zeidwerk, alternative investment strategist in UBS, focusing on private markets. Antoinette, welcome to the show. Tell us how the metaverse theme fits into the PM space. Obviously, it's been quite a hot topic in recent months and years. Particularly over the last two years, Web3 and metaverse-related projects have captured quite a lot of interest and even captured about half of the total funding that was going to blockchain technologies in 2022. And a broader interest in these technologies has already started at, let's say, around mid-2021, when there was this large cryptocurrency boom and uh, many established brands were exploring commercial applications for the metaverse, especially to find new ways to engage with their, their clients and their fans. An example of those, I think we've all we've all heard quite well. Those include Nike that acquired Artifact in late uh, 2021 in December, and even releasing a digital sneaker, kind of a crypto sneaker, in December last year. And also, there's been major fashion brands hosting shows on the Metaverse platform, like the Centraland, and and coffee brands like Starbucks that are that are announcing the launch of loyalty programs or using NFT to engage with their with their clients, and all of these kind of underlines this ongoing interest in the space. Tell us a bit more then, Antoinette, about some of the more recent trends and developments in the space. Of course, this is a space that's been quite affected by what we call the crypto winter and the reset in public market valuations in 2022. And the book data does indicate that the overall deal volume of 2022 surpassed that of 2021. However, it's very important to note here that most of the funding was raised in the first part of the year. And that since the second quarter of 2022, we have seen a decline in funding. And we also we expect this to, to continue throughout 2023 as investors remain rather cautious about uh, the outlook of digital assets and also there's still quite some uncertainty 
following the, the failure of some crypto companies in late 2022. So it's also likely to take longer to underwrite new deals and there should be increased focus on due diligence and on financials and the size of investment then is also likely to decline. And what we do expect to see then, of course, is then most yeah, most participation is likely to go into the hands of, of specialists and really of, of those who are more established in the area. The metaverse is an area that is really still in its in its infancy. And while it may be entering a bit more of a quiet period in terms of, of private investments, it is likely to continue to develop over the coming years. And there are definitely some commercial applications emerging in the air in the area, like gaming and leisure and in fashion. And if we maybe also take a step back here, it's also what we have seen also last year was where uh, where investments have been targeted is kind of across three areas in the, in the metaverse market, in the metaverse space, right? So you can look into access, and these are uh, companies that are that are building uh, hardware and and software technology for the metaverse, so kind of to get access to the space. And then there is infrastructure. Uh, which are more enabling technologies that allow the metaverse to function. And these are also very important components of the Web3 and generally focus on, on networking, computing, and data storage. And then finally, there's experience, right? So where where companies are focused on creating digital content and entertainment and engagement for business applications. And that also relates to some of the examples we have discussed earlier. However, though, from an investment perspective, we do think at the moment, exposure to traditional private equity sectors offers a bit of a better risk reward at this at this point in time. And of course, and what we've also mentioned many times also in previous episodes or previous discussions we've had, putting fresh capital to work following declines in public markets has historically been quite a rewarding strategy for traditional private equity. And that was Antoinette Seidwerk, bringing us to the end of this edition of the Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance every week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can also join the club and subscribe to Monocle magazine. In the meantime, you can also discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening. 